you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody. So good to see those of you who are here with us in person. Want to welcome those of, you, those of you who are joining us online, whether you're live in person, live online, or maybe watching or listening later. Know that you're prayed for, you're cared for, and loved before you showed up or before you turned on the screen. And so, as Thomas mentioned, we are continuing our Armor of God series, and today we're specifically talking about the sandals of peace. And so as we you know, start to go down that route, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 for the majority of our sermon this morning, starting in verse 11, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. What I'd like to do is take a couple moments, uh, hopefully literally just a couple, in order to give a little bit of an update um, from what I had shared last week, how uh, last week when, um, well, prior to last week when I went to the ER because of my heart, and then last week I was preaching on taking care of your heart, so it felt very apropos, and so I uh, had a doctor's appointment this past Wednesday, or excuse me, past Thursday, and um, in that appointment, uh, to be fully frank with you, I was sharing, I was talking about it, and the doctor didn't see, it's, it's, it's kind of a double-edged dynamic where the doctor didn't see anything on any of the results or anything going on that would uh, necessitate further study or further um, cardiology work. So on the one hand, you're like, oh, that's nice. But on the other hand, have you ever had those moments where you're trying to share with someone and it feels like they're not really listening and they're just trying to prescribe something for you without listening to you? And so recognizing in that moment, just kind of sharing, you know, this is what I'm thinking and asking that this. And then he asked me this question, which is a question that I think can kind of help frame us a little bit as we talk about peace this week. And he asked, do you believe that um, the, the thoughts in our mind can impact us physiologically? In other words, if if we start to think anxious thoughts, we've talked about this before, it can make us more anxious. If we start to think fearful thoughts, it can make us more fearful. And on the flip side, if we think more joyful thoughts, could it not also make us more joyful? And if we think more peaceful thoughts, isn't it possible that could help us to feel more peaceful? And so as we enter into this sermon today and we talk about the sandals of peace, we're going to do a little bit of a different structure. I'm not going to have the same questions that I had over the past few weeks, um, but we're going to look at Ephesians 2. We're going to think about the different types of peace that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provides for us and how we can live out of that peace because his peace, as we'll discuss more and more throughout this morning, is a peace that we get with God. It's a vertical type of peace, and then it's a peace that allows us to have a horizontal aspect of peace with other believers as well. So as we get ready for that, if we believe that our thoughts can impact us physically, if we believe that whether they're anxious thoughts or peaceful thoughts can impact our hearts and our souls, well then let's have our eyes, ears, and hearts ready to see whatever it is that God has for us this morning as we talk about putting on the sandals of peace. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is part of our service today, whether live in person, live online, watching or listening later. Lord, we we recognize the power, the beauty of how you've created us and recognize that our minds are powerful things. And just like the doctor asking me, Lord, I pray that all of us would be asking this question. Do we believe that our thoughts can impact us 
even physically. And so, Lord, as we enter into your word today, as we dive in, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us as we discuss what it means to have peace, what it means to live at peace, and what it means to be peacemakers in the midst of our circumstances. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 as we get started. But before we unpack that section of Scripture, I want to revisit where we are in the armor of God that we've talked about, you know, the idea of to be strong in his might and of the... Um, be strong in the Lord's might and in his mighty power because recognizing our struggle is against the devil's schemes. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there's an entire world that you and I do not see. And yet just because we do not see it, that doesn't make it any less real or viable or threatening for us. And so we need to be able to put on the full armor. And then in starting in verse 13, Paul talks about to stand firm. And then he starts to share the different pieces. So let's look at verse 14. It says this, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now the first two of those we've talked about over the previous two weeks, we're going to be focusing on the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. But if you listen to that, it's, it's a little wordy the way that Paul says it. It's the way he talks about it is like buckled. Okay. But remember we talked about that, that word for belt isn't actually in the Greek. It's the word for loin. So it's this idea of girding your loins with truth, this idea of breastplate of righteousness in place. It's not something that just says that it's already there. And then with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, it comes, it's something that's already been done. Let's look at the NASB translation from 1995. We'll see a consistent Greek understanding of how the verbiage is written. So stand firm, then having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod, that's another like one of those words, like gird a couple weeks ago, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And Tony Evans in his study talks about this idea that these first three pieces of the armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the sandals of peace, are things that you've, ha- it's, it's the verb for like you've, have, you've done this already. You, having girded your loins, having the, put the breastplate in the right spot, having already put your feet ready with the gospel of peace, now you go out. And then over the next three weeks, we'll look at how it says, after you've already done these three things, then when you need it, take up the helmet of salvation, take up the shield of faith, and take up the sword of the spirit. So these first three, Tony Evans, I, didn't, I don't have exact quotation from him, but the idea is these are a state of being as Christ followers, that we should always be girded with truth. We should always have righteousness covering our hearts and, and covering us when the, Lord, or when the enemy tries to attack, excuse me. And we should always have our feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, this idea of shod that shows that it's a feet fitted with a specific shoe for a specific purpose. A. Skevington Wood, he, he talks about this when he talks about what were these boots, what were these sandals of peace? Once the breastplate has been fitted into position, the soldier puts on his strong army boots or caligae. Josephus describes them as, quote, shoes thickly studded with sharp nails so as to ensure a good grip. And so it paints the picture for us that we recognize that it's not just like these normal shoes right here, but there's a specific purpose for how they are made. In fact, we have a picture here and if you could, you can't see it quite as clearly, but there's some of these little cleats here, but 
In the olden days, back when Paul was writing this in Rome, those would have been actual hobnails or actual nails that were driven into the bottom of the sole of the foot so that when you stand firm, regardless of the terrain around you, when you stand firm, you have a grip. Some of, some of you played sports that have cleats. It's a similar idea that you wouldn't want to go and play uh, like soccer, like you wouldn't play soccer with like different, the wrong kind of shoes. You'd want to have cleats. You'd want to be able to have the right grip. Now, when it comes to different types of shoes, when we are shod, when we are specifically fitted with a specific shoe for a specific purpose, it reminds me of um, our daughter, our youngest daughter, Elise, um, is currently in a dance group called Blessed Feet through a church, uh, Summit Christian Church in San Marcos that she goes once a week. Blessed Feet coming from the idea of Isaiah 52, 7, how blessed are the feet that bring good news that Paul refers to in Romans 10 as well. And yet she's in this class called Technique, which last time she did hip hop. Now she's in a class called Technique, which includes hip hop as one of the uh, types of dance, but it includes several others as well. And of course... Every different type of dance requires a different type of shoe. And so we're getting ready for this. And it's like, okay, we need to purchase different shoes. So um, kind of typical, we have a ballet, ballet slippers. And so uh, she's able to put these on and be able to, you know, practice ballet. And she's showing us like position one and position two. And these are not them, by the way, because I don't know what they are. But, you know, like, he's, what's a plie? And I'm like, I don't know. So we have ballet shoes. Then we have these, which are like her jazz shoes. This is for... Um, is it lyrical and modern? Is that right? I forget. It's something like that. So this is another type of shoe that you're able to use. This is probably my favorite one because you can hear it before you see it. And these are the, the tap shoes that she has so she could do tap. So each one of these, it's not like if she was saying, hey, can you do tap right now? She's not going to wear her ballet shoes, right? Like that would make zero sense for her to wear ballet shoes during tap. It would make no noise. In fact, that's the point, is that it's not super loud. And yet, each one of these are for a specific purpose. And so, when it comes to us standing firm, when it comes to us experiencing and putting on the armor of God, it's talking about, Paul is talking about, there is a specific purpose, and because you have a specific purpose to stand against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly realms, you need to have specific shoes for the purpose. You're not going to go and fight a battle with rainbow sandal flip-flops on, as much as I love them. You're, you're not going to go and fight a battle with ice skates on, as much as I don't love them. You need to find the right shoes for the right purpose. And so this is why he explains that these shoes, they have... They have those spikes in order to have the strong terrain so we could stand firm. I'm going back to the NIV translation here again just for a moment. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Remember, girded your loins with truth. With the breastplate, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet, right? But it's not just with, like, what, what do we shod our feet with? What are the sandals that we need to put on in order to have hope against the enemy in this battle. And it's the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Describing this word readiness, Marvin R. Vincent says, he describes it this way. This word means readiness, but in Hellenistic Greek, it was sometimes used in the sense of establishment or firm foundation, which would suit this passage of firm footing. So it's acknowledging to have the readiness of the gospel of peace is to have the sure-footedness 
The preparedness. That if you know that someone is about to come after you, you don't, and they're trying to knock you down, you don't just stand like this. You brace yourself. You give yourself balance of weight and strength, and you allow yourself to be able to have um, the ability to push back or to deflect those attacks, right? So it's knowing how we need to be prepared and what it means to have sure-footedness or firm footing in the midst of so many battles. Because all of us have some sort of footing. We all have something that we stand upon. Some of us, if we feel like we want to face the enemy's attacks and say, okay, well, I'm just going to have the, the shoes of being good enough, the shoes of doing the right things, but not necessarily trusting in the right Lord, the shoes of making sure that I'm the one, that it's self-reliance, or the shoes of approval of people, or the shoes of feeling like as long as I have enough money, I am stable. As long as I have enough friends, I am stable. As long as I have the right power or status or role, I am stable. And if we build our lives with the wrong shoes, if we try to apply worldly or earthly shoes to a spiritual problem, we are going to slip and fall. If we think that we have a a, a, a dynamic in our heart where we need the Lord's peace, but we try to find and fulfill that true peace with false peace. It's going to put us on unsolid ground, or even more importantly, no matter what we experience, we're going to lose our footing. So here's a video that I saw. There's no sound to it, so, uh, but here's a video. It's just 30 seconds, and it is the picture of, or it gives a quick idea of what life is like when we don't have a firm footing, especially when we have to face slippery moments. So we go ahead and watch the video together here. Again, no sound, so I'll just narrate it. So he's walking out of his car, for those of you who are listening online, and he's walking, and he's looking at the camera, not looking where he's going, then watch. He starts slippering, and he's like, okay, no, I'm about to fall. No, you know what? I, I've kind of, I'm going, okay, no, no, I've got this. I've, I'm okay, we're okay. And he's like, he kind of gets into a little, like right here, he's like very impressively going. And it's still happening until the very end when he falls. And then he's laying there. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide just so it doesn't repeat. Um, and you see this moment where we can do this. We can have it so that when things are going well, we're wearing our different sandals, shod with approval, with career, whatever it is. And then when things get slippery, we can hold our ground for a little bit. I am both slightly embarrassed for him and incredibly impressed that he was able to last that long being able to do all the different moves and even getting a little bit of a rhythm. But here's what happens. When our foundation slips, here's the thing. We think that we can make it work on our own and we think that we'll be able to withstand what's going on. But God will inevitably put us into positions where you and I need to decide what our foundation truly is. And not only that, because we know 1 Corinthians 3.11 will tell us that there is no other foundation than that which can be laid in Christ Jesus. And Matthew 7, 24 through 27 tell us that the foundation that we build our lives on is Jesus and his words. And if we do that, we are wise builders that when the storms come, not if, when the storms come and the rain comes down, the floods come up and the wind batters the side, we are able to stand firm. And so some of you, some of us, we're in these seasons where we're trying to make it seem like everything's fine. And we're slipping and we're sliding. And there's even times where if someone were to watch us from afar, they're like, I'm a little embarrassed, but also very impressed that you are lasting this long. And yet when we find a foundation or make a foundation, and if we don't have the right shoes that can give us the firm footing, 
our foundation, if it's in anything other than Jesus, will inevitably and eventually lead to us falling on our backs. Because there is no other foundation other than Christ Jesus that we can build our lives on that would withstand the storm. Um, so t- continuing on in Ephesians 6, 15, it's the preparation, the firm footing that comes from the gospel of peace. That the gospel is the good news. It's the fact that we were far from God. That all of us, we, we, we should give this simple verbiage that um, starting point is a, a ministry that talks about this. And what is the gospel story? It's number one, that God loves us. God loves us. He created us. He shapes us. He molded us. And in the beginning, there was no sin. God loves us. And part two is we blew it. You and I have sin, and sin has entered the world ever since Adam and Eve. And so we all have a sinful nature. None of us are righteous. No, not one. We talked about that a little bit last week. That it is out of the Lord's, Jesus's righteousness that he imputes or he gives to us that we can't earn it, but like my father's ring, I get to inherit it because it's my dad's. And so it's acknowledging the fact that none of us are righteous, no, not one. But then the third part, God loves us, we blew it, Jesus paid for it. We talked last week about how there's that laundry list of sins that you and I have. That it's like, I always do this because it's always an Old Testament scroll that I just picture like rolling out because it's so long. But in that moment, it's, we, he, Jesus laid down his life when we confess our sins God is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we recognize the fact that when our righteousness is filthy rags, but Jesus' perfect righteousness is given to us, it's imputed to us, it means that no matter how long that list of sins is, says Jesus paid it all. This is paid in full. So Jesus paid for it. But the fourth one is that we have to receive it. We've all gotten gifts before that we've never used, never worn, never moved from the back of the closet. The Lord gives us the opportunity to have salvation, and we must receive that gift. We can't just leave it unopened, unused, unworn in the back of the closet. And so this gospel of peace shows us that there can be a peace between us and God, and there can be a peace between us and other people. Priscilla Shire talks about this way. She says that of all the things the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy in your life, peace is almost always at or near the top of the list. Or as my doctor would say, do you believe that our thoughts can impact us physically and spiritually? He intentionally stirs up discord, division, disruption, and disturbance, both within you and around you. So we've been using this list over the past few weeks, the enemy's schemes, and the one that we look at, number three, is this, we talked about deception and the belt of truth, talked about denial, denying of who we are in Christ, last week the breastplate of righteousness, and this week we talk about discord, the division and the disturbance both within us and around us, both between us and God because we are sinners, but recognizing through Christ we've been made new and have a right relationship with him. And then also the discord to those around us. And so we look at the next slide, this idea that it is through the gospel of peace, the feet fitted, having been shod with the proper shoes for the purpose of readiness for the gospel of peace. So now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 as we took that time to kind of give us some background information. Now, as we get to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to talk about the different um, 
different axis, if you will. So there's vertical and then there's horizontal between us and God and peace between us and people. So the first thing we look at is the vertical axis, which is our peace with God. Now we're going to start in verse 11. What we're going to notice is we're going to talk about 11 through 13. Then the next section, we're going to jump down a little bit to 19 through 22. And then when we close, we're going to enter into that center section where the two axes meet and talk about Jesus. So the first one, the vertical axis, our peace with God, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away from or far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now this Paul is writing this. Paul was someone who grew up Jewish, and he was. Uh, he was a Pharisee. He talks about in Galatians about his bona fides of being a, a, an exemplary Jewish man at that time. But he's writing to Ephesus, which is a city in uh, modern-day Turkey. And so he's writing to people who were outside of God's covenant relationship with the Jewish people. We see him being a, a pastor or being in the church of Ephesus for years. And we see this in Acts chapter 19, chapter 20, and, and how he had such an impact. He knew them so well. And what he's saying to the people is, hey, most of us here in this room or watching online would be what is considered Gentiles. We weren't born into the Jewish um, religion or the Jewish uh, heritage. And so what he's saying is you who did not have this, when he's speaking to them in Ephesus, he's saying those of you who are Gentiles, you were not part of the original promise. You were not part of the original covenant. You were someone who were without hope because you didn't even know that a Messiah was prophesied and was going to come. You were lost in your sin and there would be no hope. And so for those of us, when we recognize our, the depravity of our own sin, we realize that we are far from God, that there is nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve his grace. And so it's not like we can just have the, oh, I'm going to put on the, the sandals of being a good person. I'm going to put on the sandals of having enough friends, or the sandals of having enough money, or the sandals of any of these things. None of those are firm footings. None of those are readiness or preparedness. None of those will allow us to stand firm in the midst of the attacks that we experience. Because the gospel of peace shows us that in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's through Christ that we are able to, those who are far from God are brought near to him. Not through our own effort, not through our own accomplishments, but because he who knew no sin became sins that we might become the righteousness of God. Because while our sins, or our righteousness, excuse me, are as filthy rags, his righteousness can cover our sin. And if, friends, if you and I, if we live a life of trying to find a firm footing, a preparedness, a, a readiness outside of the gospel, we might be able to run in place. We might be able to handle the slippery times. We might be able to do it for a while, but inevitably there will be a moment or moments when we slip and we find ourselves lying on our back like the guy in that video that he was just laying there. 
And if we try to exert our own energy and effort to be made right with God on our own and run along that icy plane, then we're going to be exhausted. We're always going to be anxious, wondering, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Can I be enough to experience God's love? As opposed to the peace of knowing that it's through Christ that we've been brought near. It's not about what we have to do. It's about what Jesus has already done. So we talk about this, this vertical axis, the idea that Ephesians 2 shows us through Jesus. And it's not just in Ephesians 2, obviously. It's in other places. Romans 5, 1 through 2 is a great place to look as well. Also Colossians 3, 19 through 20. Um, but if we, if we look at this idea of recognizing that our peace comes from, okay, we've been made right with God. So now I can receive the love of God and receive the peace of God and then be able to express that love and peace to those around me. So we have the vertical axis, but then we also talk about this horizontal axis, the fact that because we've been made right with God and the vertical from God to us, that Jesus came down, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, was raised to new life and invites us to eternal life, that's the vertical axis. But then there's this horizontal axis because we're still here on earth. And we're still called to love one another. We're still called to come alongside one another, to bear one another's burdens, to grieve with one another, to pray for one another, forgive one another, to walk alongside and bear, again, one another's burdens. And so what does Ephesians 2, what does Paul have to say about what it looks like for us to have peace with one another, especially in this context? It's especially with fellow believers, despite the many differences that we may have, he who unites us is greater than that which attempts to divide us. So our, our faith in Christ can supersede the various different ways in which we differ. So here's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19. Consequently, you, remember he's still talking to the Ephesian church, those who are Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It's hard for us to understand the depth of the division and the discord between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in this early church because we didn't grow up in generations and centuries of this kind of enmity that, that they experienced. So here's an example. Priscilla Shire says this. Jews and Gentiles of, let's go back to the previous one, please. Jews and Gentiles of the first century were extremely antagonistic toward one another. Their history was filled with contention and offense. So they could have never imagined any scenario in which the two, group, two groups could unite in love and harmony. They had neither the desire nor the willingness. And yet, the peace that Christ established on the cross was powerful enough to bridge even this colossal divide. Friends, I think when we look at the gospel of peace shows us that if we've been made right with God, we see you will be known, Jesus says this, you will be known by how you love one another. That that is how the world will see that the gospel is true. 
Do you love and you obey God's commands? And then how do you treat one another? How do we treat one another who are in the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the God's family and the membership of his household? Do we look at each other differently because of different things and allow other things that might divide us? Do we allow the gospel of peace to be so prevalent in our hearts and our souls and our minds that we say, okay, we don't have to agree on everything, but we agree on the main thing. And the main thing is that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, that we have eternal life through him. So you are my brother. You are my sister. Even when there's things that we don't always agree on. And I love this beautiful phrase. Because Priscilla Shire takes all this time to say, there's enmity, there's division. They, the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. And yet, the gospel of peace changes our periods of yes, I hate this person or I'm against this person and makes it a comma and says, and yet, and yet, the gospel of peace can supersede that which divides us. Being united in who he is can supersede how we can be divided from the various things about us. We continue on verse 21. Paul says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I want to give an illustration of this idea because we got, we're picturing this concept of two different, completely different um, racial and religious and historical and completely different backgrounds, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul is saying somehow it is Jesus' plan to make it so that no matter how different you are, you would become one household, one family, one group of believers that would have oneness despite your differences. And because of that, the world will know that I am true, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So one way I think I hope will be helpful, and especially local for those of us, uh, for all of us here, is as much as I hate to admit this, as a, as a Giants fan, San Francisco Giants fan, um, AT&T Park is my favorite park in the whole world, uh, stadium, but Petco Park is an incredible stadium. I don't know if you've ever been to Petco Park. If you haven't, it is beautiful. Here's a picture of it that I did not take, but I just got to find online. But it's just beautiful. I mean, you see the fact that the, the water's nearby. It's right near downtown. You're able to experience, like, incredible food. Um, so the Seaside Market uh, tri-tip nachos are just, ah, so good. And so the best stadium food I've ever had. So all that to say, Petco Park is a beautiful, beautiful stadium. Now, many of you know this, and just in case some of us didn't, I was, I'm still learning this, is that you might, you can't totally see it from here, and don't go to the next slide yet, but there's a building right here that probably looks pretty different from the three, you know, the three levels of a stadium all the way around. Then you see the Jumbotron, and, and they have this little place for kids to play. It's, it's great. This building looks pretty different. Let's go to the next picture, because this building is the Western Metal Supply Company building. This was built in 1909, and it was used up into the 70s for making materials, and that there were these brothers who ran this, um, who ran this supply company, and it was so vital to the city that in 1978, I believe it was, it was declared like a historical landmark, like nothing can happen to this. And so this is an older building that when the, the stadium, when they're saying, okay, we want to build a park here, what they did is they used this building as the cornerstone, as the corner of their park to say that, okay, this, this building 
The side of it is going to be 336 feet away from home plate, and they built the stadium around it. And so if you go to the next picture, we see how it looks today. It's not quite today because there's still like the blue Padres uniforms, right? So this is probably a few years ago. But you see how the Western Metal Supply Company, that there's the foul, bowl, foul pole right here is really just a yellow line drawn up there, painted on there. But it's part of the stadium. So it's a beautiful stadium. Padres fans say, our stadium is the oldest stadium because you have like one corner of a building that is the oldest building. And I'm like, I'll let you have that. But it, but it is beautiful and it's incorporated. So if you walk over here, I believe it was on, I, think, I believe we went on one of these things, the levels there, I think it was right here. And like there's, there's a, a plaque on the bottom where Fernando Tatis Jr. had hit a home run that had landed there because it hadn't happened before. Like it is part of the stadium and it is beautiful. And it's this idea of an older building becoming part of another building. And it's not that they're two separate things. It's not like it's a stadium next to a supply company. It's that the two have become one building. That when Paul talks about this idea in verse 21 and 22, he says in verse 21, in him, the whole building, the Jewish faith, those who are Gentiles, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Petco Park is an old building mixed with a new building that becomes a brand new building that no one else would have envisioned a hundred years ago. When Paul's talking to the Gentiles, he's saying, Jews and Gentiles, you never would have thought that you'd be part of the same family. You never would have thought you'd be part of the same community. You never would have thought you'd have so many similarities because you're inundated with differences. And yet, and yet, he who unites us is greater than all that can divide us. So now you are a new building, incorporating the old, incorporating the new, and being more beautiful than you ever could have been, either one of you on your own. So we have this vertical axis, our peace with God. We have this horizontal axis that shows us the peace that we can have with others despite differences to be able to say, let's, let's recognize that which he unites us is greater than that which can divide us. But whenever you, you know, you're doing graphs or things like that, there's the vertical axis, there's a horizontal axis, and there's that point right in the center where the axes meet. And for us, in our faith, where the axes meet, the vertical and the horizontal is the Prince of peace. We have peace with God, peace with others, because of the prince of peace. The first section is the top paragraph we've been looking at is vertical. The bottom part is the horizontal. So where do the vertical and the horizontal meet? Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. They meet here in the middle at Ephesians 2, chapter, or verses 14 through 18, which say this. For he himself, referring to Jesus Christ, is our peace. Not that just he gives us peace, not that, that he wants us to experience peace. He is our peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, Thus, making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He divides the walls of hostility between believers because in his body, he reconciled all of us by the cross. That none of our history, none of our background, none of where we came from, none of those things, when we are all at the foot of the cross, none of those things will be what we divide one another with. We're not going to be in heaven and have just certain people where only certain people are there. We're going to be at the foot of the cross. We're going to be praising God together. Because every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't matter that maybe we don't understand one another now. Because we will understand everything fully then. Andrew T. Lincoln, he says this. He says, as we've seen from chapter 2, verse 14 through 18 in Ephesians, the gospel of peace is embodied in Christ who is our peace. And this is a peace with both vertical and horizontal axes. Peace with God the Father and peace between human beings, Jews and Gentiles specifically, who are formerly at enmity. So, we're going to close with just two kind of important points for us to leave. If we talk about the vertical, peace with God, horizontal, peace with others, the axes where they meet, the point, the central point of all of our lives, central point of scripture is Jesus, and come up with these two points. Number one, because of our peace with God, the vertical axes, axis, we can experience stability in hardships. When we recognize that the greatest thing, the greatest trial or the greatest struggle we're ever going to have is, okay, we will all face, we have faced, we are facing, we will face incredible hardships in this world. And yet there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. When we go to the Lord with thanksgiving and bring all of our prayers and petitions and we, we bring those things, we cast all anxieties upon him and, and there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Because the Holy Spirit gives us that peace out of the peace he's made. And so we're able to endure hardships. We're able to have stability in those hardships because of it. Ace Geventine Wood continues when he says, In that case, the sense would be that the gospel of peace with God, through which the believer himself has already been reconciled, referring back to verse 17, affords him a sure foothold in the campaign in which he is engaged. Because we have been made right with God, we have the sandals from the readiness, the pre preparedness, or the sure foothold of the gospel of peace. So when we face difficulties and storms, we're not running and slipping and falling. It, it's difficult. I'm not dismissing or, or, or devaluing any of your storms. But I'm saying that there's a peace that like a river attendeth our way when storm billows roll. We see this picture here is by an, uh, an artist named Jack Dawson, not Leonardo DiCaprio's character from the Titanic, but an actual person named Jack Dawson. And this is called peace in the midst of the storm. And when you look at this, you see the ravaging waters, you see the storm and the lightning, you see the clouds coming, you see all this action, all this movement, all this chaos, all this storm. And what you may not see originally or initially, especially from where you're standing or sitting now, is the fact that there's something we're going to zoom, on, zoom in on right here in this corner. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide. That there's this, there's this bird who's nestled into the rock that's made his home. 
And despite all the storms around this bird, is able to have peace to be able to know, I'm stable here. Everything else around me is crazy. But I can still be assured that on my foothold, or on, my, on his stoop in this case, with the covering over him, it's still storming around him, but the storm doesn't affect him as much as it does those around. Priscilla Shire continues when she says, remember, a backdrop of commotion is the best place for the peace of God to be put on display. So, if the enemy has been wreaking havoc all around you, and the chaos he's instigated has seemed to swallow you whole, don't be discouraged. Some of you, that's all you need to hear today. You're like, why did it take you 49 minutes to get there or whatever it is? It's don't be discouraged. Our God can and will anchor your soul, tethering it to the security or, if I may, the preparedness and the firm footing found in his gospel, the good news of his beloved son. So number one, because of the peace with God, we can experience stability and hardships. But because of our peace with other believers, we can experience oneness despite our differences. Priscilla Shire continues. She says, the soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder, one beside the other in a tight linear configuration, bringing strength to the whole. It would be impenetrable, secure. The Kaliga, remember those, that's the name for the shoes that we're talking about with the hobnails that give them firm foundation. The Kaliga kept each person in that line steady and strong, which meant that the entire line was then steady and strong. If even one soldier lost his footing, the hole in the formation would weaken the line itself, leaving the whole army vulnerable to enemy attack. And so we talked about this earlier. When, when they would have the shield of faith, they would, it would cover the person next to them. They'd all be lined up. And whereas one soldier on his own could be at risk, experiencing oneness despite differences, despite things, but saying, hey, we are all on the same side. Let's all stand firm, shoulder to shoulder against the enemy's attacks. We can be strong when one another feels weak. We carry one another's burdens. We come alongside one another. I mentioned Gladiator earlier when he talked about the thumbs up or the thumbs down. There's a scene in Gladiator when they, the uh, main character, Maximus, goes to Rome, and there's the other gladiators here, and they're supposed to go up against this enemy, and they don't even know what it is yet. And so they're all dressed up, and they're all ready to go for battle. And he has this line. Let's go to the next slide. It says, whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. I wish I could do his accent, but I can't. Do you understand? If we stay together, we survive. And so then it shows the next slide. All what comes out of these chariots, and they're all, so this is a little different because it's not a linear one, but that's because they were being attacked on all sides. Anyways, they go, and they go shoulder to shoulder, and what happens is the, these chariots come out, and he says, lock your shields. Lock your shields. Get your shields next to the other one so they're intertwined so we can hold off the enemy together so we can be on one another's side despite our differences so we could stand firm. Lock your shields and stay as one. You see in the scene, I'm not going to show the scene for obvious reasons because of violence and whatnot, but there's scenes, there's parts where you see this, the these soldiers start to come together and they lock their shields and they stay as one. And then you see other soldiers who are just kind of off on their own and those are the ones that get picked off. Those are the ones that get attacked first. And then the chariot comes around and, and they first they just stand there and they withhold the onslaught of the chariot as it comes by. And then the next time we see it, they move their formation so they can trip the chariot. The chariot flips over and the battle is turned. And before he does, he says, hold, hold. And then he says, as one. And that's when they move 
And that's when they, they trip the chariot and eventually that opens the door to their victory. We can experience oneness despite differences. As Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 talk about how there's one faith, one baptism, one Lord, and it's pulling all the unity despite the differences and it says make every effort to keep the unity in the bond of peace. And so it's saying as one, shoulder to shoulder, we can experience the oneness despite differences that allows us to face the battle. Because if you and I allow ourselves to allow the divisions to separate us, then we're no longer safe. We're like soldiers who are off in a corner, easy to be picked off by the enemy. Because we're not together. Because we're not as one. Last final quote. This strong, tangible presence of peace in our personal lives and our relational interactions is perhaps our most vital spiritual commodity in threatening the success of the enemy's plans. In other words, if you and I put on, if we shod our feet for the purpose with the readiness of the gospel of peace, it allows people to see that despite what's going on around me, I can still have peace in the storm. And then it says the idea that we can still have our relational interactions can be healthy, even when there are differences, allows us to be a light in a dark place, allows us to shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. It allows us to be people of peace in a world that is filled with chaos and enmity and division. We could lock our shields and we could be together as one. And so I know I apologize sort of, kind of, but I'm just enjoying this maybe more, probably more than all of you are. But uh, the last part, the last few weeks, just using some of these acronyms that we've been able to talk through about what girding means, what wearing the breastplate of righteousness is. I found a way to make shod work, and we're going to go with it, friends. And so let's go to the next slide. Because of our peace with God, we can experience stability in hardships, and we can experience our oneness despite differences. Peace, shodding ourselves with the gospel of peace, allows us to do both. And if all of us are able to do both, we are together as one. What a beautiful illustration of the gospel. Even more beautiful than the beautiful sunset of Petco Park is what happens when God's people allow for the fact that, yeah, we have differences, but he who unites us is far greater than what divides us. And in light of that, we will lock our shields We'll find stability in hardships. We'll find oneness in the midst of differences. And in so doing, we will be shod with the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. Lord, I know that um, we warned last week at the end of the uh, service that not to be surprised if there's... Um, discord coming into this week, knowing that's what we're talking about. So I pray for each person who's part of our service today that, Lord, if there's areas of discord or disturbance or division, that you would meet them in the midst of that, that you would be able to come alongside them and help us to become peacemakers who go in where there's division and discord and make peace, rather than peacekeepers who just step back and just hope everyone's okay with how they are. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize how much you love us. That it's because of the peace we've received from you through the gospel that we're able to experience peace because of you with other believers. 
And that, Jesus, you are where the axes meet. You are our prince of peace. So, Jesus, I pray that you would work in and through each of us this morning to convict, encourage, come alongside, or speak in a way that only you can this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.